incredibly short it's incredibly short um, so we gotta we gotta count our blessings because we here we're you know we, 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 live, we live to see another day and that's not always promised to us so take advantage of it. be a good team take advantage be a good teammate okay be a good friend be be a good bae all of it okay be be true to who you are and true to other people that's all we can do because we, we never know we, we never know. Um, so it's a sad day, um, but it's also a day in which we, we um, can, can count our blessings, and I hope we, we will continue to do that. Okay? Let's break it down. All right, so welcome into the lead block. Happy Tuesday, everybody. What you just heard was... Don Staley's words to her team, the South Carolina women's basketball team, uh, regarding the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. Um, so that's where we're going to start today. Uh, obviously, this was unexpected. Or as we walked into the show, obviously, I'm, I'm Tyler Walters, and beside me is Matthew Anderson. Um, but as we start today, it is probably the most tragic and shocking thing in the world of sports. Definitely. In, in my lifetime. Yeah, I would say uh, you don't really see too many things like this. Never such a prominent public figure goes down in such a kind of like a gruesome way, too. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I would think that would come close is Jose Fernandez, the pitcher for the Marlins who died in 2016. But he was, I mean, all respect to him, nowhere near the amount of figure that Kobe Bryant was or is well known. I mean, Kobe is an international superstar, um, one of the most recognizable faces in all of sports across the world. I think we saw that yesterday, uh, especially, I mean, when you think about, obviously you're going to hear everyone from the world of basketball talk about Kobe, uh, but then when you stretch out to international athletes like Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar and so many like European soccer players and European basketball players, and people from just the entire span of the globe uh, mourning the loss of Kobe Bryant, like it really gives you an idea of how just popular Kobe was and how well-known he was to the entire world. Yeah, I mean, you can say like like not just athletes, but entertainers like across the world too. And it's and it was one thing I thought was interesting because as focused as Kobe was during his career, it's like he has really gotten to know a lot of great people around the world that are like obviously top of their crafts or top of the leagues, however you want to say it. And so it's like they almost all have like a personal relationship with them because you see the pictures and the and then also 
he's impacted a lot of people like athletes. I guess you could say growing up, you listen to him for the motivation and like the Mamba mentality and things like that. So it really has affected a lot more people than uh, we've seen recently. Yeah. And it's, I mean, so if you don't know what happened, I guess Sunday morning. Yeah. Sunday morning about nine 30, I think. Okay. Uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna and some family friends, um, prominent baseball coach, collegiate baseball coach and his family, uh, and another piece of a family, a, a mother and a daughter, were in Kobe's helicopter. And I, I don't know, do you know where they were headed? Yeah, they were headed to the Mamba Sports Academy, which okay. is the uh, place. To, I think there was an AAU game going on there. They were going to travel to go uh, see. And their helicopter, unfortunately, crashed. And in nine, the Calabasas, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And nine, nine people ended up dying in that in the crash. Including the pilot of the helicopter. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's it's kind of it's it's completely shocking. Kobe Kobe was what 42? 41? 41, 41. So I know he was born in seventy eight. Yeah. Um, and I think like it's just obviously it's you know life is short and 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 all of those kind of things that that we know uh, and fragile. But Kobe is. The way I, I want to hear you talk about this, Matthew, from because you're and Brendan both are big fans of basketball. Yeah. And, and I think for me, I was not a big fan of basketball growing up. So I want to hear what you have to say about what Kobe kind of was to you and your friends growing up. It's like Kobe is like the symbolism of greatness. Like uh, everything it kind of stands for as far as dominating whatever craft you're in, like basketball, go dominate, get your rings, think you have five of them. And then you go win an Oscar, right? You got an Oscar yes. for the Dear Basketball film, which is like a whole new aspect of his life. Kind of like just dominate whatever phase you're in, the mama mentality as uh, as far as uh, just choosing to be great and then doing whatever it costs. To, I was actually reading this book by Tony Grover, I think, is The Relentless Will to Win or from good going from good to great. And he's just all of that. That's what he kind of stands for there and not really accepting the BS or whatever the other excuses are. Kobe is the kind of guy, me and Brennan were talking about this before, uh, the thing that most people are like, okay, so if a helicopter is going down, it's like he knows how to fix it. Yeah. Like this guy knows multiple languages, very intelligent business and everything else. So the, I think that most people are like, this can't be true because it's like he's a hero. He's not, he's not like a guy. That's not a thing. And it actually was interesting. Lamar Odom made this post about him, and it's like even teammates of Kobe don't see him as just a guy. You know, most of the time, like, we as athletes, it's like, okay, he's just a teammate. Like, he's not all that. No, his teammates are like, no, that's that, that guy's different. So it, it had tremendous impact around the community. And uh, obviously all the other people wish their uh, families uh, give them all our prayers. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I like, I didn't – I was nowhere, like, endeared to Kobe or didn't, like, have anything against him or with him. Like, I, I like I said, I didn't really pay attention to basketball growing up. Uh but I think where I kind of – the I know most about Kobe from his stuff off the court in the last – what, he retired in 2016? Yeah. So everything he's done off the court since, you know, towards the end of his career and since his retirement is what I've seen more of. Um, But he was – like his – when you say the Mamba mentality, I mean, obviously that's the first thing that's probably going to come to anybody's mind when you mention Kobe at, at all yeah. uh, in, in any sense. But when I, I, I was thinking about, you know, the mom mentality this morning as I'm like just watching ESPN and 
you see uh, Stephen A. talking about his relationship with Kobe, and you're reading Shaq's tweets and comments and all the several players and, and community that Kobe's created around him, talking about him and thinking about his mentality and how everyday people use that, like you just said, as, as motivation. And the thing that set Kobe apart for, for me, what I think of him is he wasn't, the mama mentality isn't something that anyone else in the world can have. Yeah. Like it's, that's what made Kobe, Kobe is because he can try to teach you or you can take lessons from him. But the thing that made him so different from everyone else is no matter how hard like you try to learn from him, from him, you will never be on the same level that he was because it was, it's just, it was in him. Yeah, he's like it's a not teacher. a learned trait. It, yeah. it was something that he just had. Yeah. Like in for I think that far outshadows anything Kobe ever did on a basketball court. Uh, because like I said, like when the first thing you think about with Kobe is the mom mentality, right? Yeah. That's always the first thing that comes up. Anything comes up with Kobe Bryant, you always see players like hashtag mama mentality or like Kobe sends them um like a congratulations, like you scored, you know, fifty points or whatever, or like did a good job, or, I mean, I just saw a video of Kobe Bryant congratulating uh, Dodgers player Cody Bellinger on a good um, a good career so far and a good year last year, and, and, like, those kind of things, when Kobe reaches out and a bunch of athletes do those kind of things to other athletes, it's, like, a hashtag mama mentality. Like, you try to think like he can, but no one else can do that. So I, I thought, for me, that was always what made him him is because you can't, like as much as he'll try to teach you and as much as he'll try to learn, you'll never be able to have what he had. Exactly. And to, to kind of uh, stay on that, it's like you hear Kyrie Irving, these other great players that we see nowadays are like one-of-a-kind talents. And it's like they use Mamba mentality. They don't have like their own thing. They go, And then I think after he won a championship, he doesn't call. He gets on the phone, all his teammates in the room, and he calls Kobe. It's just yes. like that it's kind of based thing. They Kobe in the locker room, right? It's just different. It's, there's very few guys have it. It's just this different thing about him. A lot of people call it the it factor, and then you just like times that by 10, and then you got Kobe. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, he uh, – like I, I want to go back to what we started with the show with with Don Staley talking about it. Um, I thought that was a good quote to kind of sum up Kobe's career kind of after his – uh, after his career, after his basketball career, his life now is Kobe stepped away from basketball, like like a big step back from basketball. And his like every time you see Kobe in the last you know two three years at a basketball game, it's a lot of it is with his daughter, yeah. um, who passed with him in in the crash. And you see the efforts that Kobe's done in women's basketball, and he's probably been the biggest and most famous advocate for the WNBA and girls basketball. He was even t- talking about some, he feel like some women's basketball players could play in the NBA based off of their skill sets. Yeah. And, and like, that's kind of what he's been doing for the last couple of years is, is just working with his daughter and, and people like her um, who are playing basketball as a woman who don't really, who want to bring light to their sport. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the funniest thing for me is, like, when you kind of combine that with the mama mentality, you go back to Kobe's Instagram post from earlier this year, where he posts a picture of his daughters, uh, 
basketball team. They're what seventh grade. They're like middle school basketball team. And he posts, you know, a year ago we lost to this team by twenty, and the scoreboards in the background, and that team, Kobe coaches. Oh yeah, yeah. Had won by nearly a hundred points. I think the final score was something like one fifteen to twenty. 28 or something. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That was Kobe Bryant. Like, he didn't stop at, like, he could have went further. He did go further. Yeah. He gave you every last thing he did until the very end, and that was kind of the mom mentality. He's unapologetic was always the thing that I think about Kobe Bryant that I respected the most about him is, and that I do respect the most about him, is because a lot of people, like, you just aren't built – I don't think anyone's built the same way he is. People seem to say things and then apologize because maybe they feel like guilty about it or, and, and that's just like human nature. Everyone, Kobe didn't do that. He always, it was like, everything was planned in his head. I feel like, like he had a, if he had a problem with you, he was going to tell you and he wasn't going to apologize to you for it later for thinking the way that he thinks it was, if you're playing terrible or you're being lazy, like he's just going to tell you, and he didn't like he never apologized for anything he said that was straightforward or stand like some people would take like a standoffish approach to. Yeah. He wasn't afraid of confrontation. And he let you know about it. And he always was vocal about it. And he never apologized for it because he truly believed everything he said. And I think that for me, like, is the most sh- telling thing of his character is he is who he is and he was never sorry or ashamed to be himself yeah like i've noticed that about guys like him and jay-z and they're just very straight to the point you might not like it but you're you're never going to question where you stand with me i guess you could say like that and also the his constantly when he was playing was trying to make you the best version like push you to become the best version of yourself so if i had to make you a little bit uncomfortable that's okay because you'll appreciate on the back end of things also, one thing that uh, really helped him, I think, as far as because a lot of people really worried about Kobe whenever he retired, thinking that maybe he was going to struggle with it. You know, basketball what is what's his life? But he always said that because I gave everything I had while doing it, like literally every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears. Like, I think he like tore his Achilles and still shot the free throws. Like he yes. gave everything, yeah. food, like no, I wouldn't say money, but like uh, as far as like commitment, financially, whatever. It, took for the best trainers and stuff so whenever he's ready to walk away from his like, i could walk away from it clear without the doubts or the regrets and things of that nature so yeah, so definitely a, a great figure yeah i think his career was like a, re- a perfect representation of him he went as far as he wanted to go and he left nothing like unfound or like he yeah. there was no what could have been or any gray areas like he was very defined yeah like did everything to the fullest extent that he wanted to do it and it was done. There were no more questions about Kobe. Like, oh, what would have been if he, like, if he continued to play with Shaq? Like, can Kobe, like, there was never a question of, like, oh, could Kobe have won without Shaq? Like, yeah, he, like, he did it. Like, yeah. And he's spoken several times, I mean, over the years and said that was important to me. Like, I wanted to prove to everyone else. I didn't want to leave a shadow of a doubt that I could do this without Shaq. Like, I liked him very much, but, I like, there were that doubt. And I wanted to prove that that just wasn't true, that I know I can do things my way. And I think for Kobe, like, he was, like, if you want to sum him up, like, he was kind of like a jackass. Like, he was kind of straightforward. Like, but that's who he was. And that's, like, when I go back to when I said, like, he never apologized for it because that was him. And I think 
I don't think there was ever a question of anyone when you asked them if they respect Kobe Bryant. It was always straight respect. Yeah, you might not necessarily like him or not, but you'll definitely respect. And I think they say go for respect over being liked because it lasts longer anyway. I like. I can't think of any other athlete that has the level of respect that he does just because of that's how he is. I mean, there are athletes that are always respected for their ability, but for their personality, no. I, like, I think there's plenty of people that will tell you about every single great athlete in history that not, like, there's going to be someone who's like, I don't respect him. And I'm sure there's maybe a couple in, in Kobe's way that, that wouldn't say that. For the most part, though, like, every competitor had that. Like, it was almost like an envy of his mentality and his competitiveness throughout yeah. his entire life. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's it, it's crazy to think of it as far as, like, the person that he was and things of that nature. But, yeah, you don't have too many people are probably like – because you have to respect – and also you have to respect greatness. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, especially, so when you're talking about respecting greatness and then, like, I'm being clear with you, I'm not holding it back from you because there like, could be a lot of speculation, but I'm letting you know exactly where you stand. It's like you have to respect that. Uh, yeah, I, it, it was just, just a crazy day, and it's like a weird – week uh, it's gonna be strange like this this next week like is people like you're talking about this all week like everything you're gonna hear monday and tuesday and wednesday is gonna be all about kobe bryant from top to bottom as it should be and you really start to see like what you're gonna miss going forward and everything that kobe bryant had an impact on and you'll figure out how you want to remember kobe bryant and like i think Kobe, like, there was a question mark last night of whether or not the NBA should cancel their games. And, like, I'm I'm glad they didn't. Like, I, I kind of like that. Like, it gave guys, like, I don't know, like, Trey Young had a, had a cute, like, he wore number eight. He had a great night. Like, that's a story, and, like, that was important to him. And if you, I think if you ask anyone if Kobe Bryant would have wanted games played last night, he would have said yes. I'm glad you brought that up. That's exactly what Carmelo Anthony was talking about. Uh, I think I was in his post-game conference. I didn't, but I'm pretty sure I was post-game, yeah. And he was like, I mean, if you know Kobe, like, and it's funny, it's like, we don't know him, but if you have any sort of idea of what the Mamba, what the Black Mamba was like, it's like, yeah, he wants you to play. Like, you better score a lot, too. Yeah. Like, I could literally see him say something like, you're playing for me and you only scored 20 points? Sorry. Like, something like that. Yeah. Just, that is so him. And it's like because he's been around. I was thinking about this the other day. He's 41 years old. He got to the NBA at 18. He's been in the public limelight longer than he's – and then I guess 16. Well, he's he been really even before that. Yeah. So it's like he has been, like, on your TV on, what is it, Christmas Day every single year your whole life. Like, you almost feel like you know him. You listen yes. to the press game conferences. He has the books and the things of that nature. It's like you feel like I was like that's an uncle. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it is. A, it's a strange feeling for fans when something like this happens because you, even though you never met Kobe, um, I would say most fans of Kobe Bryant never got the chance to see him live in person and play a game in front of him. Yeah, um, like you, this is someone who you've invited into your home. Oh, let's go ahead and put this. Several nights a week or a month for most of your life at this point, unless you're, you know, greater than 40 years old. Um, and, and this is someone who you you follow on Twitter, you follow on Instagram, like, you see his comments every day. Like, you see Kobe Bryant out for his, like, the way he talks and his motivation and to keep up with him and to see what he does. You feel as if Kobe Bryant is a piece 
for you of of you and like i always will think it's important for fans to mourn the loss of athletes and anyone who's been inspirational or motivational uh to them because even though you never met this person they've had such an impact on your life that it would be wrong to degrade your mourning as a fan of that person. I'd have to agree with you. And one lesson I've also always also learned is you got to really appreciate greatness when it's going on. Because I feel like there's like I know personally me, it's like there's been hundreds of times. It's like oh, Kobe, the Lakers are playing. That's Kobe Bryant playing. Yeah, but he's of course going to hit the game winning shot. We know how the story goes. But it's like you better appreciate that because it's not common. It doesn't last always. Obviously, absolutely. Um, I do want to talk about a couple of the like the comments like made about Kobe from uh, people around people around the world. Uh, like I said, I saw a tweet from Cristiano Ronaldo, and I saw one from an uh, Instagram post or something from Luka Modric. And I didn't see anything from Messi, but maybe he put something. Like Neymar did a celebration for Kobe after he scored a goal yesterday. Yeah. Uh, that, like, to be able to transcend, that that is so – like, for me, when I see – like European soccer players, that is always the standard for me. When I see them tweet about an American sport icon, you know they were a huge, like person. Yeah. But I, the one thing I did look up yesterday is like I I didn't see the news immediately. Like I was just unplugged this weekend. Uh, Brendan texted us about it, and he said this Kobe news is crazy. And I was like, oh, what happened with Kobe? Yeah. So I like and I pulled up. Google or whatever, and saw what happened. And then the first thing I did was just look for Shaq's comment. And then I went and looked for kind of those big people around him that I knew he had special relationships with, their comments. But I thought Shaq's comments were very, like, that that one kind of, like, hit the spot. Because here, like, Shaq had probably the most, the strangest relationship with Kobe. I think Kobe, like, when he was playing... He was never really friends with anyone. Yeah. Like, it, until after his career, which <laughs> I, I, I liked about him. I think, he, as a matter of fact, he said it's like we're friends like when we win the championship. Yeah. He's like, everybody have championships, we have good relationships. The ones I don't, well, they don't like me. Yeah. That, or if like, you're lazy, you know, obviously that doesn't work out well, too. Like, I, I like that about Kobe because he was like, I'm not here to be your friend. And it's very different than sport any like anywhere else, like in, in – any other aspect of any like body's career over any amount of time. Like you don't really, that's a one of a kind trait for Kobe is he's not really like, he's, he doesn't want to be your friend. He wants to compete with you or he wants to compete against you. And then when the day is done, he's your friend. Like his career is done. Then you kind of see that side. Yeah. Of um, so I thought that's what made Shaq's comments so interesting is because we know they went back and forth. I mean, they had like what, a weird rap battle against each other. Yeah. In the early two thousands, um, I saw Shaq post a comment about that or Instagram about that. He was like, "This is one of the fun, most fun moments I ever had with Kobe." Yeah. Like, and a lot of people, you know, like Twitter and, and basketball fans, like joke back and forth both sides of like who won that, and it's always like, "Oh, Shaq, your rap sucked," or "Kobe, you sucked." The album was terrible, and like it's kind of a funny thing for them, and but like. Seeing Shaq just talk about that to me was funny. Like knowing that him and Kobe like had that relationship. We're like, all right, like this is funny. We're both gonna hurt each other's feelings. Right. Like we, we both kind of like it. And to hear him talk about their relationship uh, as parents, and and Shaq saying, you know, like he treated my kids like they were his own, and I treated his like 
they were mine. It really shows you like that bond that they had that probably like it doesn't get brought up how close they were as much as it gets brought up about how much like Shaq helped Kobe win this or Kobe was better than Shaq. It's like a competitive thing in the in the media world, in the fan world of where you kind of paint them as rivals yeah. rather than we see them as being like brothers. As yeah. Shaq said. And I'm glad the past couple of years, they've kind of had a lot of interviews with those two wherever they're or in Shaq, like let people in their house. And then like, there's a picture of Kobe in there. And he says, now would I not, would I have this man in my house if I hated him? Like things like that. It kind of showed you because for a while there, people thought they like legitimately hated one another, but it was like, no, they're not, it's not that bad. I think sometimes the media does a, a bad job of trying to like paint guys against one another just for like lighting, likes, ratings, whatever the case. Absolutely. And, and I haven't, as we were recording Monday at noon. So, I haven't seen LeBron's comments yet, um, which I'm I'm kind of glad. Like I don't think the Lakers have put out a tweet or anything yet. I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad we get this first wave, yeah, and then we get to see those because I'm looking very forward to what LeBron has to say and what the Lakers do say and do. Um, and like the Laker community is like, I mean, they're basketball royalty too. Yeah. It's fun. It's like it, there's, I don't think there's any. Maybe the Yankees. Like, there's no real other franchise to compare them to as far as, like, the royalty measure. Um, I know the Celtics have more championships, but it's not, like, the same feeling. Yeah. Um, the purple and the gold. Yeah, and then there's, like, those stars from, like, you just go, like, decade by decade by decade. Like, you have Jerry West. Like, he made a very – like, he was in tears yesterday. I saw him some comment make um, a really good comment. And then you have Magic's comment and you get Shaq's comment. And I'm, I'm looking forward very much to what LeBron has to say uh, because he just passed Kobe's record, his all-time points record, Saturday night, Friday yeah, night, Saturday, Saturday night. night. Saturday night. Um, and, and he had like a four-minute spiel and after their post-game conference, um, which was, I mean, like, I think we're going to get something similar to what he said then. But that was just, like, a, it's it's weird, but it's it's kind of cool that LeBron and Kobe were able to have that moment to reflect on each other. Yeah. Right before this, you know, before Kobe left. So it like, that's going to be different. And I think a lot of people that's going to affect a lot of people It are his comments and, and what he has to say. I'm, I'm very interested in what's going to come out of that. Yeah. Like you said, that's it. I never thought about like that, the entering the home thing and also the different waves of it. It's like, yeah, okay. And these are people built them forever. And these are friends and things of that nature. I'm interested to figure out whenever the uh, funeral is going to be or how they're going to do that. Because a lot of time I'm sure if Nipsey's was at the Staples center, I wouldn't be surprised with something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if Kobe was at the Coliseum. Yeah. Unless, uh, yeah, good point. Actually. Um, the only other thing I can think about is that the family kind of want to have a private thing. Yeah. And I'm sure that uh, everybody respect that. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's just, it's really, it's wild. Um, and, and like, I can't, like, I don't like there's not much you can else you can say about the guy. He was, he was incredible, and it, it was. It kind of sucks that we don't get to see what him and his daughter Gianna were gonna like be doing going forward. Yeah, because I think the impact that they had already made and would make on the women's game of basketball is would be the biggest thing that would ever happen to the sport of women's basketball. Yeah, that, and, and not even close. That's what it's like, especially when you have people that put their nose, I guess, like, get to work on something, and they make stuff happen in a short period of time because they're that focused. It's like you never really know what time what could have happened, what thoughts would have manifested, what dreams would have came to pass. And so I guess hopefully uh, some, I don't know, the next person will come through and hopefully we'll build off of that. 
Yeah. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna move on from from that. Um, so as you kind of read things this week, just just you know, just take some time and remember Kobe Bryant and, and look at all the different lives he affected uh, and the relationships he had with young players across the league. I mean, there's what's amazing to me was there was a story from almost every young player across the league and their personal connection with Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, reporters saying that Kobe reached out to them through troubled times in their life, and he was one of the first to do it. So, I, I like, I, I think that's, you know, something to think about this week is however you remember Kobe Bryant, read all of the story and just kind of soak it in because this is probably one of the most tragic things you'll ever see uh, as far as the sporting world goes. Yeah, in, I agree. In the, in the world in general. Um, so we're going to move on to a little bit of college football talk uh, quickly, and we've got some big changes this week or in the past week that we just didn't get to, we didn't get to last week and didn't talk about. We want to go back and talk about them a little bit before we talk about the Super Bowl all day on Friday. Uh, we'll have Ian Pizzani in for that, so that'll be a good show. Uh, but we're first we're going to talk about Dave Aranda to Baylor. Dave Aranda, LSU's defensive coordinator, he's been there for what four years now. He got there in 2016 as the assistant. He's been the assistant head coach, defensive coordinator, linebackers coach for the past couple of years. This season, obviously, his defense started off a little lackluster, and there were a lot of questions about it. But once you got to the last five, six games of the season, yeah, after the Ole Miss game, Lights they were out. incredible. Um, and, and he's going – and before that, defensive coordinator, inside linebackers coach at Wisconsin. His Wisconsin defenses, go back and look at those. I They were like – all top ten defenses uh, in terms of total defense. I think he had two number the three or four years he was there. Three years he was there. I think two defenses were ranked number nine and one was ranked number five. Go back and look at those. But Dave Aranda to Baylor is a huge hire in my mind. You're getting one of the nation's most sought after uh, minds coordinators, and you know, in a, for a very long time. I mean, Dave Aranda's brought up talks for head coaching jobs. For the last 10 years. So it's a massive move for Baylor. You're moving on from Matt Rule, who leaves you to go to the Panthers. And this is a step in the very right direction, in my mind. What do you you think? I know you love Dave Aranda's defense this year and the guys he had, but what did you think about that? Yeah, I love him as a defensive coordinator. I think he's obviously primed to make the move up to the head coach before he's been under these other guys. So now he knows what he wants to do. He's got his own little tweaks that he'll probably do to the program. Baylor already, it's not too hard to find uh, offensive coordinator in the Big 12 to put points on the board. But And their defense, I don't know if y'all been watching the games, but that defense is already very physical. Yeah. Like, you watch that that game, and it's like those guys are hitting. I think they had a defensive lineman that won the Big 12. 12 defensive player of the year. I can't yep. think of his name right now. But yeah, so you put that type of great defensive mind uh, and you just get your offensive coordinator. I'm sure he's worked with a lot of guys on the way up. So I don't know if he's hired one yet, but if not, so I'm sure he's, he'll find a great one. That's why I think like this is going to work. This is a good hire for Baylor because they looked at what they had and said, all right, we've got a good defensive base. Yeah. Why don't we go hire a defensive mastermind? And we've already got something he can start with. Yep. We don't need to do a complete rebuild. Nope. He should be firing from the hip. Like we, yeah, we might see a little regression next year from Baylor going eleven three this year. Um, but like you give him two years, and like you're you're gonna have your answer. Like this team should not need much overhaul. He's being handed the keys to the castle, so they say a very nice castle <laughs> in Waco. And I like 
I think this is a perfect matchup for the both of them, for David Randon to leave LSU, where he, you know, if he's going to stay as a coordinator, you couldn't be anywhere better. I mean, LSU is known for their defense. I know this 2019 team, maybe the greatest team of all time, wasn't necessarily known for their defense. But generally speaking. Generally speaking, and it's going to be always, LSU is probably one of the easiest places to get defensive recruits in the country. I mean, maybe Alabama, Clemson right now, but historically, LSU, like if you want to go play defensive back, where are you going? LSU. And LSU. They, a lot of them grow up in Louisiana. And they really want to go play at uh, Death Valley. Also, one thing when you you were talking about um, this guy, this new head coaching position, Matt Rule really set a really great foundation, too. Yeah. yeah. And then so it's like Absolutely. he's kind of done the hard work. He's done the one-win seasons. It's like so now the foundation is set. So now you have to do is go build off of that. They're like, And he's given him more than the foundation. Like he's given him most of the house. Yeah, good So point. <laughs> like it's – that that's why I think this is gonna work for David Randall. Like this is the perfect situation for for you to succeed. Now, if you fail, it's gonna look really bad. Yeah. Um, because you're coming in with a defense that was 20th in points per game last year, seventh in turnovers per game last year. Uh, Baylor was. So you just gotta take that and keep going with it. And then you know, he- make tweaks and keep going with it. You can't get much better of a situation for David Randall and for Baylor. This is a big-name hire. This is a statement hire. And then if you really think about it, whenever they played Oklahoma, they had Oklahoma pretty much beaten. And yes, that's like the big competition in the Big 12. So you should it's be able to – the only the, competition in the Big 12. Yeah, really. Unless, unless Tom Herm can get the guys going at Texas, we'll get them to the Big 12 championship going. But, yeah, so this is great hire for them. Hopefully he can uh, push them over the edge. Yeah, they, I mean, they need the offensive help, like you said. But I, I think if you're the Big 12 – the conference, you've got to be thrilled about this hire because this is your ticket to the college football playoff. We've seen the high-scoring offenses. We've seen Oklahoma. I mean, that's basically only team to point to. We've seen Oklahoma. Their formula doesn't work. They can't win the college football playoff. Like It's three years, four years. Yeah. I mean, they are right there with Notre Dame as far as we'll do everything we need to do in the regular season to get there, but we can't do anything when we get there. Yeah. I think this defensive formula for the Big 12 if you're the Big 12 Conference and the Big 12 Commissioner, you should be ecstatic about this because this formula is going to push a Big 12 team into win a semifinal game. You've already tried the offensive formula from the conference standpoint. I don't think that's ever going to work. We're seeing it get worse and worse every year. I mean, they weren't even a competition for LSU this year. It's This is the way to go. And, I also, and this is going to bring something very different to the Big 12, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And also, it's nice to see a guy leave the SEC and go to the Big 12. You know, usually those SEC uh, defense coordinators go get SEC head coaching jobs yes. and kind of stay in the SEC. So the fact that – and obviously A&M is in the SEC, but it's like uh, the fact that he went out to Texas, Waco, and like, we're going to do this Big 12, we're going to get it going out here, bring more credibility to the conference. Yeah, all right. So piggybacking off in this, I, I'm looking at – uh, Baylor's stuff today, kind of, you know, reading through Dave Aranda and, and different notes about Baylor's defense uh, over the last couple of years, a lot, over the last year. And I see the story, from, I sent it to you from the Dallas Observer. And it's titled, Baylor Sports Should Be Dead, Not Celebrated. Now, it basically goes on to mention every scandal that Baylor's had. And they had a very bad scandal. I did not realize very, very that bad. one with uh, Art Brawls was that bad. We're oh, talking it, it about, was... like, multi-girls, like, many girls, but one athlete, and then the other one, a lot of different uh, girls at the same time. Like, that's like a serial type thing. This was written today, right? It was today or yesterday, it, it, within the last week. It, it's shocking to me that you as a writer can write this story and not be absolutely beaten down and ridiculed for it. Because are you 
from what is, what do you stand to gain from bashing Baylor? They have made the right moves to like you're telling Baylor fans they shouldn't root for Baylor because players on the team that they went to school at, like they never met these kids, they shouldn't root for them because they committed vile, vile crimes and the coaching staff committed vile crimes as well. I mean, I guess technically they weren't criminally charged on all the coaching staff. But Baylor got rid of all those guys. Yeah. Like they made the right steps in the right in the aftermath. So now you're telling me as a Baylor fan I can't root for my team because a linebacker had a very bad decision who I do not support and, and don't want him anywhere near my program. I don't want him, you know, putting painting a black mark on Baylor. You're telling me I can't support my team because of that? Yeah, it's like they like you said, they did the right steps. They did clean house and stuff. They took uh what's it I didn't say they took credit, but they like understood what they did wrong. They like made it known that they were wrong in this case. And so it's like they were you, very, very wrong. Yeah. Like, I mean, then, I don't want to understate their crimes. And it's like so if you move forward and you go get these new people and you apologize and make the things, it's like, well then we're kinda trying to rebuild our thing there and go out and so Yeah, look, I get you as uh not a fan of Baylor or as a casual fan of football, never supporting Baylor again. Uh, because of that, and, and that's fine. I mean, people do the same with Penn State. That's fine. Um, but if you're a fan of that school, and, and I don't think you can compare this to Penn State, because what happened there was covered up over dozens of years, and many people knew about it, and it was very, very bad. And I don't think people know how just how bad it was at Penn State when you have media booing the firing of Joe Paterno, who covered up dozens of rapes of young men at their own football camp in their own facilities. Yeah, in your own facilities. I and your gosh. And you as the media are booing the athletic director or the president from firing him. That is nothing like what happened at Baylor. Yeah. People were cheering that they were getting rid of him. They knew it was wrong. Penn State tried to it just basically say we're in denial and that we don't we like these things didn't happen and we're still going to love Joe Pa. It is completely different. But you still shouldn't tell a Penn State fan that they can't root for Penn State just because of that. Just because of that, like that's their choice. Yeah. I, like I, this is, I, I would encourage you to go look at this story. It's on the Dallas Observer. If you just go to Google and type in "Baylor sports should be dead," it'll pop up for a story. Just read it and listen to this moron talk about how you shouldn't root for a football team because guys on their football team and their basketball team 15 years ago did some bad things. But that means you who never did anything wrong in connection with that and never supported those athletes or their actions. You can't root for that program at all. That's basically what he said. Just yeah. What, what a what a high and mighty just. Sounds like, it kind of sounds like more of a, I don't, I'm not, not sure everything about the whole journalism thing, but it sounds like, would that be an editorial or would that not even be an editorial? I, I don't, I mean, the Dallas Observer is, is just kind of, it's a very reputable site. It, it's more of a column type, opinion base it's yeah. not a news like it obviously it's not a news fact lately that's what it's, I it, it's it, it's a strong it's i mean that's the hottest take i've seen on the internet this week like it, it's just crazy <laughs> it's stupid i was i was shocked i couldn't believe it I, I swear to you i've read the headline four times i was like what am i looking at all right we're gonna move on uh a little bit from baylor but to kendall bryles whose father art bryles was at the head coaching position at the time of all of that stuff that was going on at Baylor. Um, Kendall Bryles is going to be the new offensive coordinator at Arkansas. In my mind, this is a good move for Arkansas. 
Um, you have a lot of gray area around Kendall Bryles just because his last name is Bryles. We don't really all know his part and what took place at, at Baylor. Um, I mean, Art Bryles did a, a lot of things that were very wrong to try to not let it out or not take the right action to discipline his players for uh, their actions. And, and like, so Kendall Bryles is always going to be connected with that because his last name is Bryles. And I, I really don't know what kind of connection he had with that and what he did to, to deal with that. But from a football standpoint, finalist for the Broyles Award in 2015 as the Baylor Offensive Coordinator, uh, then goes to America's School for Rehab, as I'm going to start calling it, Florida Atlantic, <laughs> with Lane Kiffin, because you go down there for a few years. It's in Boca Raton, Yeah, right? have fun in the sun. Kind of, it's 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 a nice little place. You take your mind off of everything. Take some time to meditate. Vacation. Get yourself right. <laughs> go on a little vacation, and then you can pop back into an SEC job and, and join the you know join the real world again after you've been medicated for your whatever wrongdoings you have in your life. Uh, or whatever question marks surround you, um, whether it be on the football field or off of it. And then he goes to Houston in 2018, stays there for a year, and then jumped at Florida State this year, uh, Kendall Browse did, and he was gone with Willie Taggart after, what, three or four games they fired him? Oh, they he fired him with – they yeah, fired Yeah, I mean, he left with Taggart. Like, it, it was – that that was going to – he wasn't going to work for the next head coach. Yeah. Um. So now he's going with Pittman to Arkansas. I think this is a good hire – it's a bold move for Arkansas just because of, like, all the stuff that surrounds him. But if you're Arkansas, I mean, do you – do you, if you do your due diligence and you ask him the questions that you think need to be asked and you say, all right, we think you're, we think you're good, we think you've matched this program, hire him. Football standpoint, I think a smart move. Uh, he's passing game coordinator for Baylor back in the – like, he wants to throw the ball. So with Pittman's offensive line prowess and his power prowess, comparing with – Kendall Bryles is throwing the ball. I think you got a, a good mix there. And Pittman has said from the beginning when he got to Arkansas, he's like, he said straight up he didn't like a lot of the times that Georgia was just going to power run and didn't want to throw the ball and didn't want to trust their quarterbacks, which kind of shocked me. And then we talked about it on the show. It looked like he kind of was in disagreement a lot with Kirby Smart yeah. in the way he was not as, let's say, courageous in his play calling. And, I mean, he he's Pittman is taking – a stand and saying, we're, we're going to do something different. We're not going to just run the ball down your throat. We're going to try everything. Yeah, and then with that being said, it seems like his quarterback is going to be Felipe Frank. You think Felipe Frank is he yeah, going to be a starter? Yeah, that's going next. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, give me your take on Felipe Franks, and then I'll give you mine. I love the confidence. But I'm, I, love, I like the Cam Newton. I like all that. I like those kind of guys. So I like the confidence of uh, Felipe Frank. Uh, it sucks what happened to him this year. He gets injured. And what, what's the guy's name for that? Florida? Kyle Trask. Trash comes in and dominates. So hopefully, Ben Franks can get that starting position. It'll keep the SEC okay. interesting. But I've kind of written off Arkansas. I was with them with Chad Morris, and I'm off them. It, it was just a phase. I, you know, what? I'm gonna watch more Arkansas this year. Um, I watched them a little bit when when Morris first got there. I was like, all right, this is gonna take a while. I'll tune back in in a couple of years when he's got it figured out. Yep. They didn't give him a chance to do that. I'll I'm, I'll be tuning in just to see if Sam Pittman is a disaster or not. But as far as Felipe Franks goes, I think he's a fake confidence guy. I don't I think that. he's confident in himself at all. I, like, A, I think he sucks. Like, I don't think he was a Florida – he sh never should be attached. Felipe Franks, comma, Florida quarterback should never have been <laughs> written anywhere. I don't think he, like, possessed the level of talent to, to have that kind of 
great, oh, yeah. he was great will. I mean, you go back and look at the great court. Danny Werfel, Steve Spurrier, Tim Tebow. Felipe Franks does not fit into that. <laughs> uh, just because of his talent on the football field was not the same as, uh, I mean, some other options there in Florida. And Trask took that team further than I think Felipe Franks was ever going to. I thought Dan Mullen should have said goodbye to Franks before the year even started. Um, he put faith in his quarterback. And, I mean, credit to him for, I don't know, being a nice guy. But as far as football goes, I thought Felipe Franks was just not that good. And he's going to leave Florida because they're not going back to Franks. They're going to go with Kyle Trask. Um, I never believed Dan Mullen's BS about him being good and him saying all these things. I think Dan Mullen was trying to figure it out. Uh, and he's still got some quarterbacks to bring in. I think the quarterback you see, Kyle Trask, is going to be good. But whoever Dan Mullen is about to bring in, whoever that may be over the next couple of years, is going to be ten times better. Yeah, because he's uh, a quarterback guy, so he knows how to go better. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like him going to Arkansas is a strange move to me. Like, I and what I'm going to go back to his fake confidence. I think he's just soft. I think he's just soft. Him shushing his own fans after the in the South Carolina game uh, in 2018 when they're down how many ever points and South Carolina has an abysmal just oh, second yeah. half. Yeah, I remember South Carolina. And he's shushing his own fans who booed him at halftime. Like, could you be more soft? Like, that you have to, like, like I, I don't know. That just, I don't think he's a very confident individual. And it may be something's different coming at Arkansas. I don't really see it working out at Arkansas either. Like, I don't know. Okay. They've got a really good freshman or will be a sophomore, KJ Jefferson, who started three games this year and wasn't great. I mean, no one on Arkansas's team, they started, like, six quarter, six different quarterbacks, I think, this year, five or six, most in the SEC. I think Arkansas will be happy just to get an SEC win, so that's a productive year for them. Yeah. After not having one for so long. But, but yeah. I think, like, the reason they go for Franks is because he's made starts in the SEC. Yeah. But I don't know if it's going to work out for – maybe they just give him a shot and we'll say, hey, I mean, here's a guy who's on the transfer market. He started in the SEC. We'll give him a shot. If he can win a game, that'll keep us – that'll give us three years instead of two, like Morris got, and that'll buy us some more time. But I think KJ Jefferson is what a lot of Arkansas fans have kind of looked forward to. Dual threat guy out of Mississippi. He was four star coming out of high school. Yeah, I remember him. They have a lot, but he had a lot of things that he still has to work on as far as like kind of. I think he's a very raw, talented guy. Yes, and they're just trying to hone it down. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to see with Kendall Bryles. And I mean, you go back to what happened to Baylor with RG three. Yeah, um, and, and like those kind of athletes and those kind of offenses work. Yeah. So KJ Jefferson, dual threat guy, who's he to me is going to provide the most explosiveness and excitedness uh, like on Arkansas's team. Um, and I don't know. I wouldn't hate seeing Jerry Jones' grandson or whatever it is. Cause it's grandson, right? Who's at Arkansas? Uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate seeing him go off either just because he's Jerry Jones' grandson. I think it'd be hilarious. Yeah. I think KJ Jefferson is your source of entertainment on that Arkansas death chart. Probably so moving forward. Also, we'll go to Miami where De'Eric King has transferred from the University of Houston. I hated what he did this past year. I did too. As far as sitting out. That, that didn't it was phony. Yeah, it's like, wait, so we're going to, like, it's one thing to play out the whole year and I get, I guess, that would ruin his eligibility, but it's like, yeah, four games into it. I don't think the season started as well as they thought it was. I remember they got blown out by Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma Sooners, but yeah, I didn't necessarily, yeah, Houston and that Oklahoma wasn't this year. my preference necessarily, but Hey, now he's going to Miami. Now, what's Tate doing? I got Tate. I, I don't know. Tate is – I got, like, the last <laughs> thing I wrote on my notes about this is Tate Martell is just so relevant now. Yeah. I remember how hyped up we were, like, like a year ago when we were like, oh, Tate Martell is going to Miami. Like, this could be sick. He didn't even – like, he wasn't even 
good at Miami. Like, he didn't do anything in Miami. Like, he, he was playing receiver. That's what I was about to say. And I think one game, they didn't know where he was. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what kind of problem did you know the what's the other guy's name? He plays for Miami. He started in the game versus Miami versus Florida. Uh, some Williams can't think of his first name right now. But anyway, like he just didn't show up to a practice, and they were just trying. I'm like, what do they have going on? He, as a matter of fact, he's into the transfer portal as well. Uh, I'll look for his name. Well, if you're a Miami football player, you should just toss your name into the transfer portal because how much ever your fans keep telling you this. And the, and when the media around you keeps telling you that the U is back, it will never be back. Just exactly. leave. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's not coming back. But his name is Jaron Williams. Uh, he was the quarterback, like I said, at the beginning of the year. But he just didn't show up one day for practice. They didn't know where he is. And apparently he is reportedly transferring without telling the head coach. So it's just whatever's going on in Miami. Ray Lewis and Ed Reed need to get back there as effective immediately. Dude, I don't know what's going Like, I don't get the whole De'Aaron King move. Uh, so he announced his red shirt after four games this year, like you said. He does it, like, via Twitter or something. Or, like, he makes a thing on Twitter. He's like, come back to Houston. Like, Houston's saying, like, yeah, we can't. Like, it's just a smart move for him. He said he doesn't want to waste a year. Like, you know, fine. I'm cool with that. You don't. You think your team's going to suck this year and you can't help him anyway? Red shirt? Fine. That's cool with me. You want to save your eligibility, improve your draft stock, use your years on good years that are going to benefit you? I'm cool with that. Don't say you're coming back to Houston knowing you're not coming back to Houston. That's where it rubbed me wrong. And he knew, and everyone in the world knew, that he was not coming back to Houston. Dana Holgerson knew he was not coming back to Houston. The fact that him to just say that, like, I don't know if he was still allowed to use the facilities. But, I mean, I would be outrageously pissed if I was Dana Holgerson. If I really believed and he really told me he was coming back to Houston and I continued to let him be a part of this program and use our facilities and be around the team <laughs> and do all of these things that redshirt football players can do, and then he stabs me in the back and goes to Miami, I would be so pissed. Rather than, why wouldn't you just come out from the front and say, Coach, look, I'm not coming back. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just not coming back. Like, I don't, I don't like it here. It's just not for me. Yeah, because essentially what you're doing is I'm using y'all just to practice right now so I get ready to go to Miami. Also, and there's always something about that quarterback position. It's like, wait, the quarterback of our team is – red shirting and then he's like what does that say for you as a quarterback you know you're supposed to be like the not i guess the head coach the ceo but you're like the ceo of the players on the field yep and it's like wait you do stuff like voice. this yeah you're the voice of the players and you do stuff yeah so i don't agree with that necessarily but i guess you do whatever the you other need schools to. i do want to mention this before we move on he was rumored to go to oklahoma lsu oregon tennessee arkansas uh arkansas would have been fun because i think he would have had some fun there um, Tennessee, I, I really don't know. Like, we don't even know. I, I don't know what we're getting out of them. Yeah. I, all of Tennessee fans think they're going to be great next year. I don't know. I think you're probably looking 7-5 again. Yep. Um, the Vols are still basic. Yeah. It, maybe they're better. Oregon would have been, I, I don't, I wouldn't have seen him going there. That would have been a little weird. Uh, LSU, it would have fit perfect. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, but it would have been like a, perfect transition i guess because they need a quarterback they got a quarter they got an opening um but i don't know how realistic that was in oklahoma i know oklahoma's big talks with Derek king that he was thinking about going to oklahoma oklahoma's trying to get him to go there i mean they're transfer quarterback central like and but also point, for oklahoma next year to not have a transfer quarterback is going to be nice seeing it 
for the first time since what feels like, you know, five, six years. So I was going to say, at this point, if I'm getting recruited by Oklahoma, like, if I'm going there, maybe a backup, be a graduate assistant, maybe in my life, and then go coaching, do that. But other than that, don't go there. Because they're getting these guys who are kind of built for it. They're transferring their last year. They've done the past couple years. And so it's like to the guy that's the backup quarterback that was recruited there, and he just kind of keeps waiting. I think it's very similar to getting recruited to go to North Carolina, and you have all these freshman phenoms that just keep coming in and leaving. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's just like, yeah. It's a strange world right now. College football is going to be very different in five years than it is now, and it'll get normal, which is I'm looking forward to it because it's just so strange right now. But everything will kind of – water finds its level. It'll – you know, everything will level out, and, and it'll be – we'll be back to a very different but normal college football world. It's just transition period. These next couple of years are going to be strange. All right, last one I want to mention. We don't know where he's going yet, but Chase Bryce did announce that he's leaving Clemson. He was their second-string quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. Um, he played in a few games in the last couple of years, and this year he went 50 for 85, 581 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. Uh, possible, I think the thing, the move that most people think is going to happen, he's going to USF to Jeff Scott. That, I, that's what I thought. I heard he said he talked to Vandy, but I feel like that's just a conversation. Obviously, Jamie Newman's going to Georgia, correct? Yeah, that, that was also rumored as well. So he was rumoring that he's going to Georgia, they need a quarterback. Um, but Wake Forest transfer, Jamie Newman's going there. So that spot's filled. Looks like Georgia's out. I can't imagine him transferring to go be a backup. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking before that, though, it's like, okay, that actually would be a good move for him. He kind of looks like kind of like a little bit of a Georgia quarterback. He's obviously from the state of Georgia, won a state championship at, uh, I want to say it's Grayson. But I'm, not, I'm pretty sure it's Grayson. But he looks like a Georgia kind of guy. Uh, it seems more pro style. Like, he can move a little bit, but kind of reminds me of a Big Ben type of guy. I mean, here's what I have to say. He's a three-star coming out of high school. If you were on Clemson's quarterback depth chart and you were number two behind Trevor Lawrence, you can start at 98% of the other schools in the country. I tend to agree with you. Um, the one I think is interesting, though, is USF. If he goes to USF, we're never going to watch him again, unfortunately. Maybe good for him, but for college football, we're just probably never going to watch him No. Vanderbilt. He's reportedly in talks with Vanderbilt. That would be cool. They're going to suck again next year, maybe for eternity. He might win three games. But it would be cool to see him play at Vanderbilt where we can actually watch him play. Yeah, watch him play in the SEC. is playing against the SEC defenses. And I'm sure he plans to go to the NFL. So therefore, he gets to see some of the competition throughout the year. I just hate the fact, like, I, like Vanderbilt, it's like I know they're going to be bad. You know what I'm saying? I want him to be good. I like Vanderbilt. I love Derek Mason. I think he's awesome. He's always got the sweater vest on. Always a puffy sweater vest, too. Yeah, I wish I wish they go find a, the, the next goes, James Franklin. He goes puffy sweater vest in the cold. And he's got, like, the light, like, rain jacket material one for the hot. But he's yeah. always got the sweater vest on. I, I love him. Yeah. Like, it, it's not working out at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's killing themselves by keeping him there. Right. But I do – I love Derek Mason. Like, I love his character. Like, he's funny to look at on the sidelines, always in his, in his vest. Um, and he's an intense dude. And he's a good character. But as far as teams winning on the field, eh. Yeah, he still has. He's still working on that aspect of it, or maybe unless he goes to a different school. I think Vanderbilt's cool with just losing. Like, I mean, they are Vanderbilt. They're gonna they're gonna be good in baseball, and every now and then they'll make a splash in basketball. Yeah, and those players will go on to do great things in life. And then, oh, we play football, at Vandy, and they'll keep moving. Most Saturdays, they're smarter than every other single player they line <laughs> up against. So to get into Vanderbilt, that says something about you. 100% accurate. Also, we do want to mention, like you said before, we will talk more about Super Bowl. I guess I'll drop on Friday. Yep. But, yep, Super Bowl is this weekend, Sunday night. What time does it start, you know? six. Usually it's 6.30, 6.40. 
Yeah, so let's look forward to the commercials and the gameplay, and hopefully by Friday, everybody will be oh, yeah, more Matt, in that We're going to get a full – I don't haven't told you this. We're going to get a full commercial report from you. Okay. Most well, uh, since you got – Matthew's in the Super Bowl ads class. Yeah, Super Bowl commercials. So we'll, right we'll be getting a full ad, ad uh, wrap-up from Matthew next Tuesday. Yeah. All right, I think that's going to be it from us for today. Matthew, you got anything else to nah, say before we let it go? No, nah, that's all, man. All right, thank you for listening to the lead block. Go follow us on go follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. Matthew at Matt the Chosen One with the number one and myself at Tyler Walters CNR. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, following on Spotify, and wherever else you may listen to podcasts. Rate five stars, leave us a review, tell your friends. Um, hit us up with any questions you got, either Matthew, myself, or the show account. I uh, will respond and we'll put it in the show. And we'd like to say thank you to Ben Sound for our music. And that'll be it. Capiche. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.